come down on your dad pretty hard for some things. But now I'm learning that this could be a, an entire parental oh, it was a situation. Co-op. I might yeah. need to call Cassidy. No, I to come in. And, you guys need to. Everyone who's watching this needs to know. Um, I have one sibling. Mm-hmm. Her name's Hannah. She's mm-hmm. way better than me at everything. I was the test run. Oh, you were. They figured out the kinks. Okay. She can. She's way more independent than I am. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can make myself a peanut butter sandwich. Which this has now changed. I got a whole different view now. Uh huh. Then maybe it's not a parental thing at all. Maybe it's, it's just a knee problem. Purely <laughs> a knee problem. <laughs> like, like, what if I met with your parents? Like, we tried. Like, we, he I tried to throw a ball with him. He's like, no. Hit him they, in the head. <laughs> tried to get him to cut vegetables, but one time I gave him a tomato and he just started stabbing. stabbing. Uh, no more knives. No more. You're not going to do this anymore. And we were worried that we were parenting poorly, but then we had Hannah. And, and it was fine. We did the same thing, and it was fine. It worked out just fine. Just fine. Oh. Shout no, out I'm, to Hannah Mercer. I'm pretty sure they just figured out the kinks. Mm. Did better the second time around. And you don't think they ever felt like they should go back for a revision or anything? Nah. I'll yeah. figure it out. <laughs> I'll, you know. At some point, I'll battle some adversity. I want to know how the birds and the bees talk was handled within your... Oh, you want to know? Yeah. I'll say it. Okay, I'll Um, hear it. So, (laughs) in the Methodist church where I grew up, uh, they gave the sixth graders a class in their confirmation thing. Now, confirmation, for anyone who's not in the Methodist world... Or or, or lots of worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is a... A class you do where you learn about Wesleyism and Methodism. I'm not in the even in the shot. Look, yeah, he's kicking my feet like I'm in the shot. Because he's I'm holding not. up like a weirdo. Um, and so during that class where you learn about Methodism, they do a class called Created by God. Hmm. Is a part of confirmation? Um, I don't. I mean, we weren't like tested on it or anything. But I think it's a separate class. But go ahead. No, no. But it was the same age group. So it was okay. everyone I was doing confirmation with was also in this. Okay. Then maybe there were some additions. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But gotcha. everyone, I, you know, created by God. Yeah, we were in a class called Created by God, where it's literally the birds and the bees. That's all it is, with the context of Imago Day thrown in there. Okay. Okay. Um, and I never got a talk from my parents other than my dad led Created by God. So your dad's talk with you about the birds and the bees were with was all your with friends. probably thirty or forty sixth graders, and most of them are your friend group. Yeah, yeah, and they were like, your I think friend. my dad was like, "That'll do." That'll do. <laughs> I bet he nailed it. But just imagine, it's so embarrassing. If you're listening dude. or watching, your birds and the bees bees talk coming around your your friends through a microphone from your your parental figure. Still, I mean, to me. Explains even more, to be honest. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's so embarrassing. It's a nightmare. Uh, I also want this clip from this podcast to be part of the slideshow at your wedding. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm just going to look at her and say, good luck. Sorry. I hope it works out. I hope tonight's good. (laughs) We do have children that watch. Um... 
but that'll be fine. That's their parents' problem, right? Ask your ask your parents. Ask your parents. We're not doing that in discipleship pathway, I don't think, are we? No, no, our discipleship pathway, which is, which uh, is amazing. Thank you. Sorry, that was really loud. But like, I'm helping the Taylors out. And it is like the highlight of my week. That's good. Would you like to explain what we're doing? Uh, sure. Because we're mean, kind of in the real part of the podcast. But but. Kind of, but like I don't. This is the part that usually didn't go into the podcast. But we can go into the podcast. It'll be fine. So discipleship pathways is uh, a reimagining, maybe, or maybe a reapproach to uh, what within the Orthodox, the Episcopal, the Methodist, the Catholic, those worlds view of um, confirmation. There's other denominations that I missed out on there. Um, but also it's really just coming to the realization that historically that age group of fifth grade-ish age are, um, it's always a highlighted season of life in the past in Christianity and in the Jewish faith. And um, it's, a, it's scientifically viewed as a super formative years, um, but it's often within the church like a gap years between kids and student ministry. And within the programmatic church, it's left out a lot. So we built a program for us that um, resembles a lot of what the early view of those things would have been. But also it's a test run here because we'd love to be able to approach this places that don't do that kind of confirmation model and offer them a discipleship model in its place. Yeah. And it's really cool. I mean, it's so awesome. It's a lot of fun. So, so awesome. So Anyways. good job. All right. Bring us in, Drew. <clears throat> Welcome back. This nailed is it. Continue Conversation. I always nail it, dude. We yeah. learned that last week. Yeah. You just cut off what this is. This is continuing conversations. That's fine. Yeah. We'll leave that, all that in. Yeah. Um, this episode 14, dude. 14. 41. 14. It's not the same number, no, but sorry. it does have the same numbers within it. Uh, yeah. Um, I will say you nailed it. And I, feel, I felt like you were going to finish your statement of continued conversations or whatever and introduce me like you should have with mad respect, but you didn't this time. But no, I think I was actually going to, I knew this was going to happen at some point. Yeah, I feel like we don't need to do the whole I'm Drew and that's Ben thing. I feel like at this point, our audience can kind of figure it out. No, so you do not understand our theory of church here. We repeat information until it becomes memorable yeah. phrases, and we continue it not for the people that have been listening, but for the people that listen for the first time. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I agree with that, but I think we need to take into account what the phrases are. Yeah. And I think... I'm so you don't think my name this is Pastor Ben Nelson? I think there's other ways you can get that information. I think you're just tired of saying it. Yeah, that's part it's of it like for sure. kind of like singing a song. You're like, I'm tired of singing the song, but the congregation is just then enjoying the song. You're like, you know, I'm going to stop doing it. I was, like I'll, it. I'll apologize to anybody that loved that part where I introduced who we were. Yeah, there's probably if a couple. If that's your favorite part of the podcast. We just I, literally highlighted it last week at the end of the episode. No, no, no. We highlighted Welcome Back. Oh. That so was the not, whole thing. So that's better that's the thing. than continued conversations, the host, and the pastor. Yeah, that's all just extra, uh, you know. So welcome back, which I'm pretty sure. Okay, sure. sure. I'm driving you crazy, aren't I? No, I'm good. Do you want to do it again? No, I'm We'll fine. do it again. No. I'm great. Leave all of this. No. Do you want me to do it again? No, I'll we do got it things again. to talk about. Bro, we got to go, bro. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We got two podcasts to do today, bro. Do you want to do the bonus no, later? No, we're going to do it, dude. We're going right. to do it. So what are we doing first? This is regular? This is a regular one. Episode 14. Episode 14. Okay. We're here. 
We're here. We talked about Ephesians 2 on Sunday. Yeah, we're in a series on Ephesians, and Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we, we, we kind of did a recap of the first half of the chapter, because we taught on that in the last sermon series, um, and then we kind of dug into the second half of the chapter, and we discovered the purpose of Jesus. Like, what was his purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was good. Yeah. You didn't mention the phone number, and I wanted to heckle you, but that's yeah. okay. But we got some good But we numbers. have good questions anyway, yeah. so shout yeah. out to all of you. Shout out. Asking questions. Shout out. All right. Let's hop right in. Let's hop right in. How do you reconcile Jesus' purpose is to bring peace with Matthew 10, 34 through 36? And you should probably tell people what that is. Yeah, and I was going to bring my Bible before this because you said you were going to read it. And then I have it open right there. Do you have it open right No, no, just look it up on there real quick. Okay. So I'll give you a context. Matthew 10, right? And there it is. Mm. Um, So Matthew 10, Jesus is about to send out the disciples to go and to do ministry. And so the question that's being asked is Sunday, we talked about how Jesus' purpose was peace. And they said, how do you reconcile that statement that Jesus' purpose was peace, which is very clear what Paul was saying with Matthew 10, where Jesus is sending out the disciples and he's given them all kinds of instructions. He's given them all kinds of information. We get to, to uh, uh, Matthew chapter 10 and Jesus is talking to them about when they're spreading the gospel and they come into a place and they spread it and it isn't received in a unifying and peaceful way. And this is what Jesus says. Go ahead and read it. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Yeah. So what we're not understanding is kind of two things that are being said. Uh, Jesus is not stating we should go into the world looking to bring dysfunction and division which sounds like it on the surface if you take it out of the context. Mm-hmm. But you got to read this in the context of the other things Jesus said, right? Whatever I said about Jesus. What Jesus is saying is he is sending out the disciples to go into places that have never heard the concept of the gospel of Jesus. He's trying to convince current Jews that the Messiah has come, Gentiles that they are adopted into the Jewish faith. And this is a pretty life-altering decision. It is not the Bible Belt, where we casually know about Jesus, nor the Western Church, where it's that way. So what he is saying is when you go into these households and you present the gospel, let's say that only half of them receive the gospel, and it's going to create a, a moment and maybe even a life of division within that family, because some of them are going to turn their back on their current religions, their current faith, their current traditions, and their current family in order to follow Jesus. And he's saying, count that cost, right? The cost is there's going to be that. Now, let me give you a context. This is the true context. I am currently speaking, I won't give too many specifics. I don't want to get this person in trouble. Speaking to a young person in Kuwait through social media right now. Um, And we are messaging early in the morning their time, two, three in the morning their time because they've been having dreams about Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Quran, but the Jesus that they know of Christianity, of the Messiah, not just a prophet, of God in flesh. And they don't know what to do with this. And we're texting back and forth through social media. And their biggest fear, they're ready like to accept Jesus, their personal Lord and Savior. 
but how that they will have to leave their home, flee their country, and are trying to figure out like how they could move to the States or somewhere else to do this. The cost of them following Jesus is going to divide their mm. family. Yeah. And here's the problem I have with this passage, too. It's, it's been used, I'll be honest, it was used against me in an unhealthy church situation when I came and I brought um, uh, some accountability and um, some questioning of some integrity within a leadership level. And then all of a sudden, this verse was used to signify that God was doing his purpose in the church because now look, there's division among the pastors here. And since there's division, Jesus says there's going to be division. So we must be doing the things mm. of Jesus, right? And so incorrect concept. He is actually speaking of brothers, sons, daughters, mothers, physical families being split. And this is not the body of Christ, brothers, sisters, which, I mean, it is in the sense that all people are God's people. Um, but he, he's not talking about faith family. He's talking about family, like nuclear family being divided when the gospel is being spread early on by the disciples in ungospeled areas. And that receiving salvation, unless the whole household does, which often happened, it will create division within that. And he's telling the disciples, you shouldn't withhold the gospel because of that, but you should take it in there and just understand that's the cost of it, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. It does not change that Jesus is a God of peace, and his purpose is peace. And if you don't believe me, you can go read Ephesians 2, but you can also read many parts of the gospel, and you will find far more about Jesus bringing unity and peace among believers and among the church. This is literally speaking about a family, physical family, and part of them receiving the gospel and other people not. Yeah. And uh, to add on to that, yeah. the, the footnote in the NIV, um, Jesus is quoting Micah 7, 6. Correct. Um, and so to get a very, a, a clearer understanding, just whenever we're reading scripture, we want to have as much of, of, as much of information as we can. Yes. Right. And so you should probably read all of Matthew 10. And you should probably read all of Ma of Micah Correct. seven, and when and, and the reason Jesus of an would quote things like that is because Jesus did understand that he looked different than what the current religious faith thought the Messiah would look like, so he had to point out prophecies and how mm -hmm. they came into alignment because they were being misunderstood. Right. So the prophecy there was that Jesus wouldn't be a man of peace. But everybody's saying Jesus is the man of peace. And he's mm -hmm. like, see, see, right here, this, this is, is what, the, it what the, it meant when the prophet spoke about this. He wasn't speaking about me not bringing, me not being a person of peace because I am a person of peace. Yeah, people he's would saying, interpret that he, to be like he's a warrior. Right, so he's saying that passage is speaking of this moment mm -hmm. right now, and he quoted it exactly so that the scholars would be able to see that. Correct. Cool. All right, <clears throat> question two. Question two. Same rhythm. Yeah. Very good. Okay, how can I explain to my son to trust Jesus when he has been through immense trauma as a child? In other words, his fear was embedded prior to a development of trust. Okay, so there's a lot of context we don't have in this question. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this at lunch. Um, I, I don't know how old the child currently is. I don't know what the trauma came from. And I'm, I'm, I'm reading into this question and thinking in context of the message. And in the message, there was three areas I could see this kind of aligning with is we talked about how God is a, Jesus is a, is a, his, his purpose was peace. And the reason God wants us to know that is but one of the reasons is when we don't have peace, it's often um, we operate out of fear. 
And so I think that could possibly be the point that this uh, question is coming from is how do I get um, someone who fear is paralyzing them through a trauma in their life to trade that for, for peace and trust? And then later I said that you need to evaluate what you're trusting. Um, and then after you evaluate what you're trusting, you should find rest in Jesus. So I really, I think this question is coming from someone who's going, my son is riddled with fear out of trauma. He doesn't trust Jesus because he has trust issues in general. Mm-hmm. Um, he, does, he can't evaluate what he trusts because trust is always an issue because he's had a early trauma in his life that has led to this. And first, let me just say, like, kudos to your parenting, to understanding the root of some of your children's mm-hmm. actions and emotions. Yeah. Like... Um, Trauma is something that we are becoming more trauma aware in this world, which I'm just so thankful for. I have uh, two children, both with trauma experiences and their background that uh, that helps me understand their reaction to situations. Um, and so I don't know how old your son currently is. So that, that makes this a little bit harder. But I would say, number one, um, obviously, and it sounds like you're already doing this as a parent, um, make them very aware of your understandment, sympathy, compassion towards their trauma. I also don't know if this trauma came from this parent or from some other past experience, Um, but let them know like, hey, listen, I understand that. I know that's a real thing, not just a feeling. I know it's not something you can just overcome. Um, And so I think acknowledging that's first. I think acknowledging second, number one, well, I'd say number two thing would be to make sure we're using age-appropriate language um, and not some kind of complex or like like we can speak, like, like I'm just going to be honest, I'm going to get in trouble for this one a little bit, but like when my kids ask me questions about heaven that are hard to understand but I have an answer to, mm-hmm. I sometimes don't give them the real answer. Yeah. Because I know at their, that they can't understand, and it's not lying to them. Because I do plan to expand further. But my son, like, is is so worried about like not being able to grow up while in heaven, and like to have birthdays and things like that. And mm-hmm. and I and I I don't go into answering them as much as my brother. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be wonderful. Like what we need our kids to understand about Jesus and life eternal are the things they can understand at this point in their life. And that does not mean that it has to lead to the same spiritual trauma you had in your life where people told you things that weren't biblical and you took them as biblical and later found out they weren't biblical. What it means is that you are promising to have a continued conversation with your children and to unpack the gospel in Jesus at their age level and as they grow their understanding and your conversation with them grow. So I don't know the age of your child, but like let this the, this conversation does not have to be the final conversation. Like Let it be a continued conversation, so talk to them mm. at an age specific level like when we serve a child communion instead of saying this is the blood of christ poured out for you we say this is the love of god shown to you mm-hmm. is it because that's not true no it is true and we speak to them at age appropriate level um and number uh three if they are old enough to evaluate things um ask them to evaluate what they are trusting because they probably have major trust issues and i would talk to them about that and let them evaluate that appropriately um and then lastly I hope you're doing this. I mean, I would really um, advise professional help. 
like like amazing, like fully certified, trained counselors. You can find faith-based ones that are that. Be careful because there are some faith-based ones that are not that. But you can find faith-based ones that are that, knowing that they were trying to have an understanding of it spiritually. But I hope they are currently speaking to someone who understands trauma. And I would also say, if you're not trauma-informed, it sounds like you are. Like, become trauma-informed. There's lots of information that's growing yeah. out there, and it can be really good. Yeah. That's deuce. Good. Question three. What ways can we differentiate between feelings and faith in our lives? So that's a great question. Um, I think it's really, really, really important to know um, what is actually being, is this impulse in the moment or is this like God inspired in the moment? And I think that's important to understand when we, when we act out of impulse it rarely is a God thing. Right. Also, um, the easiest way to answer this for me is ask yourself, like, who's going to get the glory for this? I think we've talked about this before. And if the answer is that you get the glory for it, I'm not saying it's not a God thing, but it definitely needs more evaluation at that mm. point. If you do are not being glorified, but God is being glorified, then like, obviously, like that's a that's a way better indicator that it's something of God. Does God get glorified through it? Who gets the glory for it should be the question. And doesn't mean it doesn't turn out for your good. Scripture says he works all things together for the good of those who love him, right? And so I'm not saying it's, that it has to be all sacrificial, like horrible life, but God is going to give you information that heads in the direction of his purpose and if it's not for the purpose of glorifying God, advancing the kingdom of God, or or helping a godly thing, like a good example is I know somebody who's currently left their job, a job that was a dream job for years to take a different job, and they felt like it was a God thing, and it wasn't because they got glory, and it wasn't because it helped their dream, but it was what was best for their family and mm -hmm. the faith of their family, um, and he, they were more present at home, and they just answered a lot of things that were God things more than their dream of running this company that they had started yeah. kind of thing. Um, so that, that's one of them. Um, yeah. I mean, and I think uh, God is okay with pause. Like Moses needed a pause. Exodus 14, 14, one of the most misinterpreted scriptures um, that some of you have tattooed on your bodies right now. <laughs> it says to be still and God will fight for you. We have to understand the context of that. Moses was at the Red Sea, did not know what to do. Everybody was coming up to him. What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? Did you bring us here to die? There's, graves for us mm. in Egypt. There's not graves for us here. Like they started complaining and Moses just needed to pause a second. So he's like, Hey, hey, hey everybody, like let's play the quiet game. That's what he said. Mm -hmm. He said, let's be still and God will fight for us. And what Moses was really saying was let's be still and let me see what God is actually asking us to do. And the next verse, verse 15, God speaks to Moses, which is waiting for God to give us right that next step and goes, why are you just sitting here praying? Move <laughs> forward. And so he followed the direction of God, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, yeah, I don't think God's ever concerned with us going, let me think and pray about it for a second, mm -hmm. right? right? Very rarely is it a decision that needs to be, have to be made in that moment. So, yep. Yep. All right, last one. Let's do the last go. question. Why is it essential to remember our unworthiness before God? 
Yeah, so they're referring back to Ephesians 2, midway through the chapter. The first part of the chapter says, uh, you were dead in your transgressions, but God is rich in his mercy, kind in his nature, and that by grace, uh, through grace, by faith, you have been saved, right? And uh, then he goes, therefore, remember, and he basically goes on to remind them of their wretchedness, right? Deserving of wrath. Why do we need to remember that? Because the last half of the passage is about peace with other people. And you will never be at peace with people that you look down on because of their life. But instead, remember your wretchedness and how God saved you in that moment. And he extended kindness and mercy. So in all situations that you walk into, you need to be reminded of where you were and what God extended to you and probably what he extends to you every day so that you can do the same in your relationships, those who offend you, those who come against you, that you can be rich in mercy and kind in nature because you remember that you were worthy of wrath when God found you. Yeah. Good stuff. Boom. 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 That's it. Episode 14. 14. One, four. One, four. Where are we headed next? Do you know? uh, Yeah. Ephesians 3, Paul's prayer um, for the church of Ephesus ends with this passage. Now unto him who's able to do far more abundantly than anything we ask or imagine to him be the glory. Beautiful. It's going to be a wonderful day. It's going to be a great day. day. We'll see you there. Yeah. 9 a.m., 1045, 3 3 p.m. Boom, 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 boom. See ya. The highly anticipated. This, this is. People, I feel like tens of people are excited people come up right to me on the. <laughs> when's the bonus episode? Coming? When's that bonus well, dropping? Guess what? 